G'day, welcome. You are watching the online ministry from Inverell Anglican Church. My name is Adam Draycott, and again, welcome. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 22nd of October, and we begin with a sentence of scripture that comes from Acts 17. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Let me pray. Almighty God, creator of all things and giver of every good and perfect gift, your love for us surpasses all our hopes and desires. Forgive our failings, keep us in your peace, and lead us in the way of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Now let's share together a time of praise.
as we come to the ministry of God's word, our psalm comes from Psalm 67. And our New Testament reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read a small portion for you now. The Apostle Paul prays in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you that we can hear you speak. Help us to use this time well, that indeed we would hear you, uh, that we'd understand what you're saying, that we do what you say, and that we glorify you. We ask that you be at work by your Holy Spirit, flicking the light on in our hearts, and showing us the glory and wonder that is your Son, Jesus, and leading us in a way of repentance and a growing faith. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. I was watching a new documentary entitled Beckham. It recalled 2003 and English footballer David Beckham is recruited by Real Madrid. And his unveiling and introduction was the biggest ticket in town. Politicians were there, uh, judges were there, all the top businessmen, anybody who is anybody. And apparently they all brought their good lady wives along for their big event. The auditorium was packed. And this is even broadcast on television. David Beckham, his wife Victoria, yep, Posh Spice, she is already front row, uh, seated in the crowd. And Beckham walks onto the stage, and the chairman of Real Madrid says, David, welcome to the League of Dreams. And the crowd applause, applauds. And then Beckham speaks. <laughs> Gracias. I've always loved football, he says. And of course, I love my family, but football is everything to me. Gracias a la Madrid. Beckham later reflects, I remember turning around to Victoria, and I'm not sure how happy Victoria was about it. Mm, do you think? His wife later reflects on that moment with three words. Less than ideal. <laughs> it begs the question, though. Beckham has said, football is everything to me. What is everything to you? What is our everything? What is the stuff of our dreams? If our hearts are like a house, and our ro the rooms of our heart 
are filled with different things. Well, what are those rooms filled with? What are your loves? And for the Christian, a similar question might be, what is the stuff of your prayers? Because, you know, from the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. And therefore, I assume from the overflow of our hearts, we pray. Our prayer life is indicative of those things that fill our hearts. Which is why looking at Paul, how Paul prayed is good for us. He opens up his heart to us. Now notice in our reading, Paul prays for Christians. He hasn't actually personally met these people. But verse 9 he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Um, for what reason? Well, they're the verses prior. So verse 4, their faith in Christ and love for God's people. One follows the other, by the way. Faith in Christ, love for God's people. Verse 5, their example of faith and love, uh, which springs from where? Faith and love springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Right? There's that finish line that we heard about last week. It reappears. And the implication, verse 6, now they're bearing much fruit for the kingdom. They're growing in their faith in Christ. And so the church in Colossae is a witness to Paul. They're light in the world and Paul is super, super encouraged. You get the, the sense of that as you read this chapter. Now, what does Paul actually pray? If things are so great and there's such a wonderful encouragement... What is the petition, the thing that Paul asks of God? And the answer is, well, it's just kind of one thing, if you can follow it. It's there in verses 9 to 12, which I just read out for us. Uh, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we would not stop praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That is some prayer, isn't it? Now let's unpack it a little bit. Uh, verse 9, God's will. Sometimes God's will is used by some to describe a decision. Who should I marry? What car should I buy? What church should I commit to? What is God's will? As I make a big decision. Sometimes God's will, unhelpfully, is just really an excuse to do whatever you want to do. But you'll do it because it's God's will. Now, I want to caution against reducing God's will to being all about me and my interests. We cannot make God's will somehow a strange form of self-centeredness. That is not okay. To do God's will is to do what God's commanded. What God commands constitutes his will, surely. And our responsibility then is to know it and to do it. Take, for example, there's, uh, I've got these printed in the 
sermon outline if you're following along. So take, for example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, that's pretty plain, isn't it? It's not hard to know what God's will is for the, for the Thessalonians, is it? Or at least where to start. I mean, particularly if one's life is characterised by whinging and complaining. What is God's will for me? Oh, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 is another example. It says God's will. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. Again, it's pretty plain. Assuming you know what sanctified means, of course... If it's God's will that you be sanctified, means uh, God's desire is that we would not be living lives characterized by sin and ungodliness. And God's will to be sanctified is that you're spiritually changed and transformed. Uh, to be sanctified is to be holified, made holy, made more like Jesus and therefore pleasing to him. One more example about God's will. This is a should be an easy one. Uh, to love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And to love your neighbour. That is God's will for you. What is God's will for me? What is God's will for you? It's all here in the scriptures. God's spirit inspired word. The sword of the spirit, so to speak. Ephesians chapter 6. Look it up. It's in the scriptures we find spiritual wisdom and understanding. God's will always aligns with the scriptures. It never not aligns. It's never a departure. It doesn't say anything contrary. See, how else do we expect to withstand the pressure of the prevailing pagan culture? that saturates the world I live in? How else am I to think Christianly? How on earth can I bring my mind and my heart and my conduct into the conformity of God's will for me? Is there anything, therefore, that our generation needs more? We can chase fads. We can jump on every bandwagon. We can buy into every gimmick. Or maybe... Maybe we cherish tradition. It's always been that way. It's always done that way. It doesn't matter. Where are the people... Where are the men and women whose knowledge of God is so fresh as it is profound? Who delight in thinking God's thoughts after him? Where are those people? And so verse 9b, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through a wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. That's the petition. 
Now, we don't live in a shame culture. Uh, our individualist society is all about pleasing me. I do what I want. Forget shame, I'm going to do what I want. In Paul's world, to be a Christian, to confess Jesus as Lord, is to adopt an outlook where you seek to please Jesus in every way. Not to do so would be to bring shame on him who you have confessed as Lord. I belong to Jesus, so I live as someone who belongs to Jesus. It's, um, anything less is to drag the name of Jesus through the mud. Paul prays that their lives would align with Christ in thought, in word, in deed, in action. It's to ask oneself, what would the Lord have me do? What would the Lord have me do? What would please the Lord? It's really to be growing in Christ, which is a great purpose. If we think about it, as we think about that question, what would the Lord have me do? Then that's going to touch all sorts of things. It's going to touch on how we talk about others. See, as a Christian, is there a way of talking about others that I should avoid? Uh -huh, yeah, absolutely. Lest I bring shame on the name of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then is there a way of talking that will play please Jesus? Um, yes. How, how, how we treat our neighbours? Is, is there a way of treating my neighbour that I should actually avoid? What will please the Lord? See? Our approach to relationships. Uh, who we set our affections upon. Do they, is it going to please the Lord? Do they belong to the Lord? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? 2 Corinthians 6.14 is very instructive. It's worth a look. What we do with our money. How we spend our time. What consumes our thoughts? What fills our hearts? What would Jesus have me do? Well, sorry, Adam, it's none of your business. Oh. Said no one who belongs to the Lord. See, the flip side is that we cannot begin to be utterly pleasing to the Lord unless God fills us with the knowledge of his will. How can we be filled with the knowledge of God's will if our Bibles are shut? And if our ears are turned off and our eyes are closed. A mature Christian is someone who seeks to live a life that pleases the Lord. There are no limits and nothing is off limits. And Jesus is everything to them. Now this is described further in four ways. Can you see them? Verse 10b is to live a life that is bearing fruit in every good work. 
That's one. They're growing in the knowledge of God. We've talked about that. That's two. Verse 11, they're strengthened so as to display great endurance and patience. That's three. And here's the fourth thing. They're joyfully giving thanks to the Father who qualifies us to share in the inheritance, the kingdom of light. Four things that please Jesus. Not the only four things, by the way, but they're typical and, I think, normative for the believer. Now, as we absorb those four things, and as you think about this prayer, is, is this a nice, safe, restrained, conservative prayer? No chance. No, not at all. Uh, we pray for one another. This is good. But see the magnitude of this prayer. It is epic. I mean, what is he missing here? Uh, I, I don't know. It's so comprehensive and full. The scope of this prayer. And why is it so full and brimming to overflowing? Why is that? Well, it's because it's about people's relationship with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing bigger. There's nothing more important in the world. Jesus must be everything. You see that in this prayer, don't you? So why not go to town and ask for all that could be asked? When it comes to our relationship with God that is so vital and so essential or others and their relationship with God, there is no reason for us to be safe or conservative or constrained. So brothers and sisters, pull the cord, let it rip. That's what I say. And use this as a template if you need to. Now, it's true, some will read this and they will feel unworthy. Because we all fall short of this bar. It seems to be a high bar and we fall short. And yet we do. We fall short all the time. Uh, and some will balk even. I can't because the bar is too high. But I just want to say, none of, us, none of us want to be immature in Christ, do we? That's not the goal. Surely. Surely we want to be growing in Christ because that which is not growing is dead so this prayer underlines the necessity for this kind of prayer doesn't it it reminds us we yes we're all a work in progress and we're all on our way and our growth and transformation doesn't happen overnight it's not done until the last day when the inheritance will be ours because we're qualified that's a present reality and so we are right to pray this prayer for ourselves and for one another absolutely as we head towards eternity that our relationship with god would be everything to us question <laughs> why should it be yeah great question Great question. Why is the Lord God 
Why is he to be my everything and not something else like family or uh, my business or or football? <laughs> Why? Why is the Lord to be my everything? Well, verse 13. Because he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's the why. If God had perceived our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If God had perceived our greatest need was entertainment, well, he would have sent a comedian or an artist or an entertainer. If God had perceived our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent a politician. Ha, ha, ha. If God had perceived our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. If God had perceived uh, any of those things, but God perceived our greatest need involves sin, which brings alienation from him, our profound rebellion and our death. And so God meets our greatest need by sending a saviour to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and deliver, delivers us where? Verse 12, to the kingdom of light. Verse 13, the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. To live a life worthy of Jesus is to overflow with joyful thanksgiving in light of the salvation we have received. To live that out, to pray that out. If we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, well, the Son, our Lord Jesus, he must be everything to us. How can he not be? I mean, if you doubt that, keep reading verse 15 and tell me Jesus is not everything. How can you read verse 15 onwards and say that, that he's not? See that he is. Look at verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God. Oh my goodness. Verse 16. All things are created by him and for him. Here's the why of your life. You're made uh, by Jesus and for Jesus. He's everything. Verse 19. The fullness of God dwells in him. And now verse 22. What does he do? What does he do? Now he has reconciled you. Uh, the Father has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. He'll die. So you will be presented holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Such is our need. So let me ask you again. What is the stuff of your dreams? Who or what is your everything? Because only Jesus connects you to God. Only Jesus brings forgiveness and redemption. Only Jesus delivers us to the kingdom of light. Because Jesus is alive, Paul prays in an ongoing way that Christians will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Because Jesus is alive, he tells them the purpose of his prayer, that they would live a life worthy of the Lord, utterly pleasing to him. Because Jesus is alive, Paul prays that these Christians would bear fruit in every good work, that they grow in the knowledge of God, and they'd be strengthened by God's power 
so as to display great endurance and great patience and joyfully give thanks to the Father for his amazing salvation he has granted through the Son he loves, Jesus. And you might say, Adam, that's daunting. It's too big, too big for me. It's, it's the magnitude. And I'll say, it is a big prayer. But Jesus is bigger. And Jesus is alive. Is Jesus alive or is he not alive? If Jesus is alive, if Jesus is our everything, you can pray this prayer with heartfelt confidence. And so, brothers and sisters, let us live like this is true. And let us be praying like this is true. So let me pray. Father God, we pray for all of us that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that we all might live lives worthy of our Lord and seek to please our Lord in every way. Father, we ask for your help that we would bear fruit in every good work, that we'd be growing in the knowledge of God, uh, that, that with your help we'd be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience. Father, we want to be people that are giving joyful thanks to you. We praise you that you've qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. For, Father, you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and you've brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so, Father, for that we say thank you. Thank you, Father, and help us to live in light of all that is true, even with our prayers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What gift of grace is Jesus my
brothers and sisters, we come to a time of prayer. Don't not pray. Stop this video. Set aside time to return thanks to the Father and maybe pray this prayer that Paul prayed. I've just modelled that for you. Give it a crack and let, it, let these words encourage you and grow you. Of course, there are other examples. 2 Thessalonians was an example from last week. And you have the Lord, the example of, his, of the Lord himself with the Lord's Prayer. You have lots of opportunity, uh, lots of options. Sometimes we go, oh, I don't know what to pray. Open up your Bible. There are great examples there. Open up your prayer book. We have great examples there as well. But let me again encourage you, don't not pray. On the blue screen are some other pointers, uh, which uh, we'll post up for a minute or two. Again, feel free to pause it and work through those things to pray about uh, and remember of course uh, the Middle East and the strife that is taking place there. Just let